morning, good afternoon, good evening. Enjoy your car journey, your jogging, your laying out on the sofa as you listen to the Gig Stories podcast. As always, with me, the Welshman, Alex, and him floating in space, Christopher Payne. You are yeah. in space. I mean, you were, you were in San Francisco last, last episode. Yeah, but it was getting a bit nippy. It was getting a bit windy, so I thought I'll just pop up to, to space. And, I don't. Uh, be- I don't believe that because there's no way a, a Scotsman like you ever feels the cold. I'm quite nesh. I do get cold quite easily. Yeah. Do you know what? Yeah, I was trying to you know big you up there, but listener, he's he sat with a woolly hat and a jumper, and he's in his own home. He's not even yeah. in space. It's a Zoom lie. He's not. Re- you're not really Scottish, are you? <laughs> no, but I'm determined not to turn the heating on. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, Oh yeah. God, the world! I mean, actually depressing, isn't it? Let's to, not. I've had to have. We've had to have the electricity talk with my kids. Look, kids, first of April, no one's using any electricity ever yeah. again. But anyway, this podcast, we we are not here to talk about the um, rubbish things of the world. We're here to talk about music, live music, and uh, you've been out and about, haven't you? Haven't you been up north shooting uh, musical stuff? I well, I was up north, but I wasn't shooting musical stuff. I was up in Cumbria and I was photographing at T Bay Services. Yes, yes, of course. T Bay Services. Which let's let's just but right, because I do think this all the time, even when I stop there. Okay. Yes, T Bay Services is just lovely. It's a lovely place. It's fantastic. I like to go there, but I don't like spending £11,000 on a sausage roll. So all these people on social media say, T-Bay is the best. TB, What, are they remortgaging just to buy lunches there? Well, the thing is, though, if you go to another services that isn't T-Bay, you'll yeah. end up paying a fortune for a Duff sandwich. But no, I no, because you, you no, are. But you go to you're, you go, go on. You're poorly trying to back up T-Bay there. Obviously, no. you're in their pocket because they're paying you to take photos of their service station. Eleven thousand pound for sausage roll, or just a slightly more inflated Ginsters sausage roll from a normal service station, which is three pounds, which is still more than you'd want to pay, but which is still substantially less than than T-Bay. No, a T-Bay. Um, sausage roll which is big it's a big old mother it's three pound fifty right this is listener this is disgrace the reason i would advocate for tb is not because i'm taking the big tb dollar it's because (laughs) it's local farmers local producers that are um benefiting from that it's not the it's not the man you're not paying the man you're, you're paying local farmers, you're pay, paying local makers, producers, all that kind of stuff. And, and I suppose when you had lunch with Putin, he, he was very down to earth and kind, was he? <laughs> he was he was very down to earth and surprisingly funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Let's move on. Let's move yeah, on. Let's... I'm not even sure if we'll leave that in the edits. <laughs> <laughs> No, okay, so that wasn't music based, but you have been you have been shooting at T Bay Services. Yes. What what, what was musical based? I'm sure you've been shooting uh, something musical, have you not? I've been photographing some classical music. I had 
two concerts at Bridgewater Hall, this amazing pianist um, called Stephen Hoff, H-O-U-G-H. Um, and so I was photographing that. The first, first night was with the BBC Philharmonic Orchestra. And then the second one was just him on his own. And then on Tuesday, I photographed um, at the Stoller Hall and it was uh, an ensemble called Her Ensemble, H-E-R. Right, okay. um, I'll just read what it says. It's it's a string orchestra whose aim is to make a positive impact on the gender gap in the industry whilst creating space for musicians of marginalised genders. And they were performing all... The the music was all um, written by... Um, female uh, composers and one stat which is just crazy is that last year and this is the highest percentage recorded to date last year five percent of classical music pieces performed worldwide were written by women five percent that is Wowzers. crazy wowzers that yeah. is that is yeah that is bonkers i don't that think i would have ever guessed that no no, and, and I would uh, never thought it was that low. No, and and the thing is that there is no shortage of works by women composers. There's no yeah. sort no shortage at all. In fact, they were selling posters at the at the concert, and it's it said something like there are hardly any works by women composers, and and underneath was just listed all the um, uh, women or female identifying composers and their dates and it was boggling the amount so yeah there, there is no shortage of um that is yeah five percent five percent and that is the best percentage that has been achieved um so if you go to herensemble.org um they're just amazing they are um the the, the players are just incredible and they were playing some stuff which I, I, I'd heard string quartets and string ensembles, but never that many. There were there were over twenty um, musicians, string um, string players, and the sound. And there was nothing else either, so it wasn't with yeah. um, percussion or brass or um, piano or anything like that. The the only other kind of percussive instrument was the harp but everything else was viola violin cello double bass um but the sound was incredible and it sounded like kind of classic hollywood soundtrack from the 1950s just that sound not not in style but just in the sound yeah. like you yeah. you'd get in a a western for example a john wayne western or something um, or a, or Ben Hur or something. It was it was gorgeous. So yeah, herensemble.org. Just go there and um, go and see them live because they're incredible. Really good. Right. But no, Ben Hur. What about Ben Him? <laughs> When's International <laughs> Men's Day? Ben Him. <laughs> yeah. Oh God bless Richard Herring. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> patience of a saint. So uh, a genuine question I have. When you are shooting a classical concert, do you approach it in a different way to a other concert? So like, for example, I love your picture of Rick Witter when we saw Shed 7. And Rick is very um, photogenic. 
and you know you've got a, a lead singer like that and he's the, he's down on his haunches and his his mic's in hand and he's looking at you know it's very arty it's very cool it's in you, you know you're not sure what you're going to get whereas a classical concert can be more static per se what do you approach it differently do you have a different focus goal aim is that a rubbish question i don't even know no, no, it, no, it's a good question. I mean, the, the approach is completely different just because when you're in the pit at a normal kind of rock gig, yeah. um, you don't have to worry about the sound that you're making or the impact that you have on the, the band on stage. Um, you don't have to worry about if you're putting them off because they're course. expecting that. But yes. if, you're, if you're shooting something, I mean, a classical concert is generally acoustic there's no amplification so you need to make sure that you are not taken away from the performance either putting off the performers or putting off the audience who've paid good money to come and see yeah of course come and, come and hear it so um i have to my musical background comes into play and i will anticipate louder parts and um, you know, percussive hits or whatever, and make sure that I'm clicking then, not clicking at any quiet bits. And yeah, you, you almost become a percussive instrument. Make make sure that you're not dis- distracting from from what's happening on stage. So um, you've never caught a violinist smashing up the instruments at the end of a gig, have you? They tend not to do that. They tend not to do that. Why? Because it's a Stradivarius. Yeah, they're so precious. A bit pricey. Yeah, just get another one. Exactly, exactly. But um, I mean, the, the other thing, uh, you know, you, you will get uh, in a rock gig, you'll get um, the guitarist will, you know, be fannying around with the guitar and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> fannying around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For the... Look at Prince again, fannying around up there on his guitar. Yeah, <sighs> exactly. But but you won't get that with a, a classical concert. And it, basically, you... you you just photograph what's there. You can't magic some kind of, um, you know, performance that's or you know physical movement that isn't there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you 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 make the best of it, and yeah, that's you can't you can't magic something out of out of thin no. air. So. Well, um, so have you got any um, uh, any sort of exciting gigs coming up, sort of mute live music wise? No. <laughs> nope. and on to today's um, no i'm, I'm but, gonna sort it out on on monday i'm gonna get on it and get some things booked because there's a it's a busy fixture list we, oh, we've seen we, we've seen I, I mean there are in the past there's been trends of when bands tour you know specific months and it's all it's all related to pr and and what have you and whether it's summer and um you know, they close down for winter, but it's literally jam-packed January to December. And the amount of July, August gigs I'm seeing, which is very rare outside of a, a, a music festival, is is crazy. I think everyone is just making up for lost time. So there's, yeah, there's plenty there's plenty for you to choose from, isn't there, coming up? Yeah, absolutely. And um, what are you doing between the 22nd and the 26th of June in 2022? Of June, oh, 22nd to 26th of June. Are you going to the Glastonbury Festival of Contemporary Performing Arts? What, at Worthy Farm Pilton Somerset? Yes. 
I can neither confirm nor deny my presence at Glastonbury this year uh, at the kids' field where I've been since 2010. Um, so watch this space. The lineup, However, the lineup is pretty <laughs> special. I mean, do you know what? I love lineup announcement day from Glastonbury because of social media. It is so funny. It is so funny because the the responses and the comments and views of people, it depends what mood I'm in that day, whether I just tell them to sod off or whether, you know, it just makes me laugh because the negative comments or the just plain daft comments are 99.9% of the time from people who've never been to Glastonbury and they're not going this year either. And they don't have tickets. Yeah. And you just think, what are you on about? Uh, someone actually put worst announcement ever, worst Glastonbury lineup ever. And I just went, <laughs> I, are you for real? Because let's just look at the headliners. So Friday night. Billy Idol. Billy Idol. 80s legend. <laughs> B- Billy Eilish. Is there a bigger female, new female artist of the past few years? I, I don't care, middle-aged white bloke, if if you like Billie Eilish, but is there an artist who's made more of an impact than Billie Eilish? Probably not, mate. And she's headlining Glastonbury. And then Saturday night, you've got a beetle. Again, people love him or hate him. You've got a beetle. You've got an actual beetle. You've got Paul McCartney, who's written some of the greatest songs ever. Oh, oh, he's rubbish, isn't he? Frog and chorus. then Sunday, yeah, frog chorus, pipes of peace, ebony yeah. and yeah. ivory. And what's the one he did with Michael Jackson? Um, the girl is mine, mine, yeah. mine. So they're his top Whoa, four she's... songs, obviously. Absolutely. And if he doesn't come out and start with all four of them, there's going to be trouble. Gonna boo. You're going to boo Paul McCartney. I will. I will boo him so loudly. <laughs> boo him right in his face. and then sunday night you've got kendrick lamar yeah you know arguably the the biggest rap hip-hop star around at the moment who as far as i'm aware has not played glastonbury before off the back of the super bowl halftime show again i i don't care whether you like these artists you've got to for me as a music fan you've got to be able to go do you know what not a fan of Kendrick Lamar, watch someone else probably, but that is a great headliner. And that's what it is. Yeah, the rest of the, the lineup is is quite something. And I was looking through and thinking that I would probably go to some different things to you. And I'm just going to suggest that, that one person that you don't miss, really try not to miss. Um, I, I'm going to... You're going to guess who it is. Yes, yes. Um uh, and uh, listener, just um, entertain yourself. Okay. Who am I going to suggest? Herbie Hancock. Yes, exactly. Yes. Herbie yes. Hancock. You need to, so Herbie Hancock. I'm, I'm absolutely going. I'm taking my boy with me. Fantastic. And the other thing, um, just on the back of um, Pete Perfidis's episode, um, just seeing um, Egypt eighty. Yep. Who? Sean Kuti and Egypt 80. So that'll be some oh, Afrobeat. Um, yes. That high life kind of, that'll be knockout. I mean, obviously, yeah. I mean, if I was crowded there, house. 
a crowded house, definitely. No, a youth, of course. Yeah, yeah. Crowded, crowded house. Yeah. Um, I tweeted. In fact, I tweeted and said, "Pete, you can be on my shoulders down the front for yeah. a crowded house." That's uh, going to be Rufus Wainwright. Is I mean, loads of names that have come up in in previous podcasts, but Rufus Wainwright is playing Wet Leg, Wolf Alice, Self Esteem, um, Skunk and Nancy. I think Sam Fender might be playing Sam Fender. The this this lineup. I'm. Uh, you know, I've been going um, since I was a, a teenager in the 90s. And I think this, so far, because this isn't the full lineup, I think mm. this is my favourite lineup ever. Look, at yeah, you've got Little Sims. Um, Little Sims, who's headlining. Yeah. She's headlining uh, the West Holt stage. You've got Elbow. You, you've, got, you've got Elbow, First Aid Kit, Girl in Red, The Jesus and Mary Chain. Yeah. Me- Megan the Stallion and Doja Cat, and I'm so glad they are there representing. You Supergrass. have Grass, Supergrass, Bicep, yeah. uh, Arlo Parks, who I am dying to see. Pet Shop Boys, Pet Shop Boys, <laughs> yeah, Pet Shop it's Boys. crazy. So, I, it's, I mean, I think it, we it is, m- we might have to draw this conversation to a close because I'm getting a bit jealous. Um, so, I hope you have a lovely time, Alan. I mean, what I'm going to tell you is something that happened to me the night that just made me chuckle. So on Monday night, I I, I took my daughter to, um, I took Grace to see Yonaka, a band called Yonaka. And this had been rescheduled from from last year. And we were there with my brother-in-law and his wife and daughter. And they're a a female-led sort of rock punk band. Fantastic. What what a live. What What was was the venue? Uh, The Ritz. The Ritz. All right, okay. Great. And um, we were down on the floor near the front. Yeah. And it's so good. We've mentioned this before, but I just love the feeling in the Ritz because it's a ballroom. And I was just like, oh, it's it's so good. Yeah. And um, I think it was my it was my brother-in-law and his wife's first time there. And I said, just wait for the bounce. Uh, yeah. And I said, you've got to go to Blackpool because they've looked after, like the Ritz flooring. I don't think they've replaced that for years. No. Because Blackpool is still an active ballroom. I said, you want to go there. It's twice as bouncy at a gig. It's it's amazing. Yeah. But anyway, we were chatting festivals and um, it came up Glastonbury because they were like, oh, are you going? And I said, I can neither confirm nor. <laughs> because <laughs> and, I'm um, an enigma. Because <laughs> uh, I am an enigma. Is enigma playing? I can neither confirm nor deny that I am performing with Enigma this year. Right. And and I pulled up the uh the the poster, the Glastonbury announcement poster, and showed it to my uh, uh to my sister-in-law and said, Oh, the lineup is brilliant. And she's looking through it, and there's there's not much on her face. She's just sort of, okay, all right. And I get it back. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh, wow, there's clearly no impressing her. And then sort of seconds later, I realize what I've done, Chris. And I point it out to us that are there. And we are crying laughing. So on the day that Glastonbury announced the lineup, Someone on Twitter, and I've just had a quick browse because I want to acknowledge them. And I don't know if it's Neil, not in a boy band, or Tother Simon. And I will try and confirm and we'll put a link up because I, I want it to, to 
to be appropriate. They released their own version of the Glastonbury Festival that I'm showing you that looks like the original until you look close up. And I had shown my sister-in-law this without realizing. And hold and it up let to me your just... camera again. Let me see. So I'm, 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 I don't even see yet. Right, I'm okay. going to, I'm going to just read out some of the artists playing at this Glastonbury Festival. The headliners are Neil Buchanan from Art Attack, Babylon Zoo, and Sam Fox. <laughs> <laughs> other, other bands on the, or other performers on the lineup, Calm Down Susan, Stephen Seagal, The Happy Tuesdays, Chris Whitty, uh, Budgie Grenade, Confused Badger, Alan Titchmarsh, right in the middle, Paul Simon. <laughs> and the long pole, Simon, two Belgians. <laughs> oh, also, we need to share this. Also playing is Her from EastEnders, Pancake Armageddon, and the 1980 snooker world champion, Cliff Thorburn. <laughs> <laughs> Whose who's nickname is actually, did you know what his nickname is? <laughs> you know, you've got Hurricane Higgins. Um, Cliff Thorburn's uh, nickname is The Grinder. <laughs> I'm going to be down the front for that one. Yeah, to grind into the grinder. <laughs> there's also uh, Spooky Chicken, Hydraulic Cock, and, well, hello, Captain Starfish. <laughs> and she had looked at that and not even said anything. And when I said to her, Lorna, why did you not tell she went... Well, I looked at it and thought, that's a bit of a strange lineup, isn't it? <laughs> but, I, but I might get a ticket for Neil Buchanan. <laughs> Can you imagine Neil Buchanan from Art Attack headline yeah. in the pyramids? Oh. It was the Babylon Zoo that cracked me up. Well, so that really made me chuckle. That really made me chuckle. So, uh, yes, but Yonica Glastonbury, uh, great gig. And um, I've been excited. Oh, oh, I've not okay. told you this either. I am so excited because this week Liam Howlett from The Prodigy has announced that they are doing 25th anniversary Fat of the Land gigs and um, playing live. And of course, wow. he, he finished his finished his message by saying, "This one's for you, Flinty." Because yeah. they're like my brother and I, especially being big fans. I know we've spoken about this before. Mm. Um. Have wondered will he will he play live again? Is it you know was losing Keith enough for him just to say stop? Can they play live? I know people like how are they going to do it without Keith? But I kid you not, honestly, 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 I had a couple of hours. This week has been crazy, but I had a couple of hours one morning this week, and um, I'd heard a Prodigy remix, and then I just stuck my earbuds in and just listened to. Uh, Music for Jilted Generation and Fat of the Land over and over. And it was that night that Liam announced the prodigy were playing. I thought, well, that's a really weird coincidence. Anyway, Wednesday morning, me and my brother secured two tickets, Whoa. which was the maximum, by the way, yeah. for the Manchester gig. And they are playing Victoria Warehouse. Really? <laughs> my ears are going to fall off. Yeah, and yeah. I cannot tell you how excited I am because 
And and again, I, I promise you, I promise you that morning when I was listening to the prodigy, I was thinking when I speak to Chris next and we're speaking on the podcast, I'm just going to make one of those statements that I make. The prodigy are the best live act ever in the world I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, if you ask me tomorrow, it'll be someone else. But the truth is, I still stand by that. The prodigy are one of the greatest live acts ever. It It is unreal. Yeah. And if there are any tickets available for any of their, their shows, because the shows as well are really, really small for, you know, a, an act that used to be arena sized and it will literally blow, blow your head off. So mm. in July, I'm going to be going to see the prodigy. Well, I've only seen them. I've only seen them once. Um, but I saw them at tea in the park in 1995. It was either 95 or 96. Um, Had they. Oh, so no, that is pre fat of the land then. So they wouldn't have done Firestarter. No, they did. They did. They were playing Firestarter as a single before they released the album. How live um, was there just one tour where he came on in a giant bubble ball? Oh yes, so so that was the because um, the Jilted Generation tour sort of went on for ages and ages, and it was post that, and they then started gigging again, but they were then dropping in, and I don't want to offend anyone. Smack my bee up and Firestarter. And yeah. these were two songs that, you know, as the audience, we didn't know, didn't know what they were. So that's they definitely when played those them, in between them. Yeah. Yeah. I think and it was 96. I think it was 96. Yeah. Because yeah, um, Fat of the Lamb was 97. But they headlined, I think they headlined the Saturday night and they were just incredible. It's um, ridiculous, isn't it? Mm. And of course, before we... I know we're going on here, but before we go on to um, this episode, um, it's just really nice seeing that yet again, BBC Six Music, their their live weekend, which is in Cardiff. I'm so chuffed with that. Tickets just went boom immediately. Sold. Yeah. Bang, bang, bang. That is going to be a, a heck of a weekend. And, and that seeing that this week and, and hearing this week about um, Six Music's anniversary. Yeah, happy um, birthday. 20, 20 years. 20 years. And former guest on the Gig Stories podcast, Chris Hawkins, on Monday, uh, which is Monday the 14th of March, at 7 o'clock in the morning, he's actually going to play out the very first link which was by phil jubitus oh no he played it he played it he played it yesterday he played it on friday oh was it yesterday yeah 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 the 11th sorry i've got my days mixed up sorry no it was it was yesterday not on monday friday that that was exactly 20 years wasn't it and it was um and the first song that they played was ash it was ash yeah yes brilliant yeah, brilliant. So, um, yeah, but Chris's show um, yesterday, um, yesterday morning was fantastic. It was really great, and he had loads of, loads of folk on. He had uh, Gideon Coe on. He had um, lots of the original um, um, presenters on, and um, yeah, it was it was just lovely. It was really really good to listen to. And you, of course, have uh, have shot Six Music Festival, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I, I, and I, I, I photographed it when I was still quite 
early in my career because I only picked up a camera in 2013 yeah. and 2014 was the first six music festival. So I, um, I was one of only three photographers that were photographing that that time. And the other two were both working for the NME. Um, so it that's was, crazy, man. Yeah. And it was a real baptism by fire because it was I mean, I was I was only in the um, the main um, space of Victoria Warehouse. Um, and so I can give, you know, some of the bands that I, uh, an artist that I didn't get to photograph because I couldn't fit in. It was so crammed. So I didn't photograph the horrors. I didn't photograph Metronomy, Jimmy Goodwin, James Blake, Wild Beasts, which was a bit gutted about because Wild Beasts, I think they split up quite soon after. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I did photograph Damon Auburn, Midlake, uh, Calice, uh, Haim, The National, Franz Ferdinand, Jake Bug, Bombay Bicycle Club, who I absolutely adore. No, um, I really never. love them. And I noticed that they are playing, are they playing Glastonbury? No, they might, I think they might even be playing the Six Music Festival again, but Ray Morris is playing as well, who was, uh, you know, collaborated with them. Um, yeah, wow, okay. So I would have thought that they'll be playing together. Um, but yeah, it was, it was crazy, just... Um, because it was being filmed as well. So it was the first time that I'd been photographing in the pit, but with um, a sliding um, video camera going in front. Um, so it really had to keep keep my eyes open for, you know, not getting run over by this, um, by the cameraman trucking past me. Um, yeah, of course. But then... Oh, the- we need to get you to Cardiff then. We need to get you to go and shoot this, this festival in Cardiff. Oh, I'd, do you know what? Then, so, some of the stuff that I photographed, I, I was really pleased with. But some of some of the stuff I was working with, a really um, with my my first camera. So there were um, shots that I wouldn't have taken if I was doing it now, um, and that yeah. I kind of regret. But it was where I was at the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, some of the some of the breakout events were were fantastic as well. So they had Q Q and A's. So Lauren Laverne was. Um, uh, t- talking to Khalees. Um John Robb was speaking to Alan McGee, uh, Mikey Joyce was there, um, Tim Burgess speaking to Keevney, um, John Cooper Clark was um, performing, Don Letts was DJing. And it was just, amazing. It, was, it was an amazing couple of days because us photographers, we were up in the kind of office. So when we weren't um, photographing the gigs or, or in these breakout sessions we were we were sat in the office and it was the kind of media um, hub as well so at one point quite early on on the Friday um, uh, Matt Everett was in and his phone started to ring and um, he, he, I mean he's a really funny fella but he said no, I'm, I'm not <laughs> yeah. I'm not answering my phone unless it's somebody very very important or very very famous and he said, "Who is it?" And I looked down. <laughs> I looked down at the phone, and it said, "Guy Garvey," and just like, yeah, <laughs> probably, probably both, because um, they were they were just they were they started the festival off by doing a live yes. um, stream from Blueprint Studios in Manchester. Um, so I kind of set it off, and and you know we were there for for two days, and people just kept on popping up. So Alex Capranos popped up, Jake Bug was up, um, um, Ho- uh, uh, Peter Hook popped in. Um, it was just, and and then these lovely moments. So um, 
Bombay Bicycle Club and Midlake, they did their vocal warm-ups um, in, in that space as well. So especially Midlake, um, there's a song that they, uh, I mean, my favourite song of theirs called Antiphone. And yes. um, the, the close harmony is just beautiful. But they did that as a vocal warm-up in that office and just hearing them Amazing. just do it next to me. It was oh, something else. Oh, so, yeah, that's so good. I loved it. I loved it. And it, as, as a young, well, not young in, in years, but young in terms of how long I'd been photographed for, it was a yeah. massive baptism by fire, but it was something that kind of, you know, made me want oh to let's get you more. to cardiff hmm. you can go stay with my mum we'll go down stay with my mum and i want to see you shooting little sims in st david's hall that is hmm. just oh and i can take you to club evil bach and you know that's all, there all the venues that that's in wales is it i could <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable, isn't it? Club wow. Bach. Who'd have yeah. thought? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. I'm let's let's make that happen. Let's make that happen. Mm. Anyway, come on, Chris. Introduce this episode. This episode. So we did our first compilation um a few weeks ago, uh, episodes one to ten. And this is the second compilation episode. So some of our favorite bits from episodes eleven to twenty and um, we have excerpts from Matt Fraser, Magic Mod, well, Ben Taylor, uh, Johnny Kelsey, Nick Hayward, Chris Hawkins, uh, Shell Zenner, Graft, Mike Batt, Tommy Smith, and James Atkin. Now, Woo! that's an eclectic bunch. Uh, compilation three, th- this, was, this compilation, 11 to 20, um, is at a time where we were... Uh, not struggling for guests, but some of the guests that we tried to line up didn't come off. And so it meant that in the run of 10 episodes, only one of them was a woman. And that yep. is remedied in the, in the following 10. And we addressed that in, in one of the episodes that we, we did. I think yeah. we, we address it when we went to Peace Hall in Halifax. Um, so when there are a load of blokes in a row, it's not through design. It's because... That is just the way that the chips fell, basically. But the, um, yep. the balance is getting better all the time. And we have got loads of women that we will be um, speaking to over the coming weeks. So, yeah. This it is, is exciting. Yeah. yeah. And we we genuinely feel privileged to have had all the guests we've had, male and female, um, and from, from all the genres. We, we're so lucky and we appreciate uh, all, all our guests' time as well. So sit back, whack your headphones in, or turn the volume up on your stereogram and enjoy. What was your first um, l- live gig or concert as a as a punter? As a, as a... Sort of like the first record you buy, and not the yeah, parents yeah, buy yeah. for you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, luckily for me, it was X-ray specs at Ooh. the marquee. Come on. Yeah. Here's the weird thing. I was 16, and you know, I would often forget that I was disabled because everybody was nice and didn't mention it. And I said to my dad, a nervous, quite conservative gay man who knew nothing of punk and did suspect it as being the breakdown of society. And I got <laughs> yes. it at the time. 
And I said, I want to go to London on my own and go to a punk gig at a club called The Marquee. And he said, no. So that was that. And then he went to the theatre and all these stagehands went, stop being a stupid old fart. Let him go. He's got to grow up and this is a perfect way for him to start. So he came back and said, I was wrong. You can go. Um, <laughs> so off I went. And I, the, the highlights of it were the gobbing. I'd never seen the gobbing before. Yeah, that was, was that was one of the, the things. The audience would spit at the, at the band. And it was a, it was a show of respect and of, you yeah. know. It was a sign of appreciation, but Polly Stone like, put a stop to that very quickly. She wasn't having that. No. Um, and that Susie Sue and Sid Vicious were at the gig. Whoa. And it was a packed hallway. And at one point, Sid Vicious had to get past me, and he went, excuse me, mate. And so, ah. to me, at 16, that was pretty special. Yeah. Wow, you remember that. Are you able to explain the feeling or what it was about punk? Because I wish I'd... I was born in 77. And I, I can't. I can, for me, a disabled kid... For me, a disabled kid, trapped in this identity that I didn't ask for, yeah. hadn't designed, and felt was slightly wrong. Like, mm. It's like... But, but I... You know, anyway, and then punk came along. It was like, everything is shit. You could do what you want now. I was like, yeah. it is great. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that's kind of how it felt to me. Also, if you wore punk clothes, which at the very early stage was just were quite varied. It, they weren't so codified as the Mohican or what have you. Mm. Um, if you wore like a bit of safety pins or stuff like that, other punks would say hello. And other people had never said hello to me before from yeah. style tribes. And here I, I was a punk. I was, I was a punk. I was accepted as a punk. Yeah. So huge upgrade for me socially, you know. So a sense uh, of community as well there, a real sense yeah. of community. Absolutely, in the early days, um, very much so, because you were, you were going to get beaten up if you weren't careful, you know. Could you, well, you, you mentioned that for me. I think I'm picking up on two things. You felt it was a place for you to focus your anger with yes. working out yourself. Yes, absolutely. But, also, yeah. but you also mentioned at that X-Ray Specs gig that you did not feel different because of your disability. Was the punk crowd somewhere that you felt exactly the same, where you, where you didn't stand out? Absolutely, yeah, at first. Now, of course, from their point of view, they'd be thinking, wow, look at him, fucking great. Right. Because punk was all about self-expression. Yes. encouraging others to break free of their mold and so I, I i was somewhat celebrated by other punks okay in that way which which you know i didn't see as condescending and certainly wasn't intended as such um it felt like camaraderie you know i i went on the anti-nazi league march the very first one um and i i was unaware that special brew was so strong having bought a couple of cans uh, <laughs> Was, was marching along thinking, fucking hell, I'm tired. I was so blathered by that point. <laughs> and a punk band was playing on the back of a truck. And the lead singer, I don't know who they were, the lead singer saw this tired little kid with short arms, leant down, offered his hand up, I put my hand in his, and he yanked me onto the truck. And I got a ride all the way to High Park. That was fucking Malcolm Owen. It was the ruts. I had no oh, idea. No. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. So I, I had a lot of this history, amazing history, but slightly unaware of it at the time. Yeah. I then fell asleep when I got to the gig and woke up for Elvis Costello's last song and he was the headliner. <laughs> so I missed the entire show. But it was worth it to me because the experience was incredible. Yeah, yeah. Oh, 
Amazing. That is, that, that's brilliant. <laughs> but yeah, and, and that lasted, that fresh, you're an equal, you're different, so you're an equal, uh, fresh thing lasted, you know, for quite some time. Um, you know, that, that very quickly morphed into me being in a punk band. And then my whole experience was for the next 20 years about being in bands. You've toured right with the Libertines, uh, Pete Doherty when he's going out on his uh, on his own, uh, and we should give a big shout out to Jack Jones here because mm, uh, Jack lovely Jones trampoline, yes, who, uh, plays with Pete, and I know we both know Jack. I love I love him and trampoline. Um, uh, you've you've been uh, you spotted Revens and the Makers. How, yeah. how does a magician wangle that? How did that? Yeah, because we were we were talking about this before, weren't we, Alex? And, it, and <laughs> yeah. we were trying to think because it, it's almost in the same kind of ballpark as uh, a band being supported by a comedian or or a poet. And I've seen I've seen several poets on the on the bill with bands, but the, there's that same difficulty, I suppose, where people are going to uh, and expecting music, but then you kind of bring in down and bringing out a kind of hush and a and a concentration i mean it must be one of the most difficult gigs to do oh god yeah um just just quickly going back to the jack jones uh, from trampoline he's brilliant every time we're together we always bounce off each other Whoa. oh it, you are my yeah. gosh. i tell you what you are you're going to be a great dad let me tell you <laughs> yeah you've got all <laughs> shite jokes you've got the it. dad patter <laughs> sorted. I, I thought it was good to be fair like, i thought of it in the end i said i'm not letting this one slip no, I'm not this, this, one slip. this one deserves but, an audience of two. Yes, thank you. I'm here all week. So to your question is, yeah, it was, hang on, what was the question? What was the it question like was, that, yeah, it must, because, <laughs> because audiences are expecting a band and music, you're, you're expecting them to concentrate and give full attention to something which is, you know, it's different, yeah. it's different and small, you know, it's detail. Um, and so it must be a, a really difficult, a difficult thing to do. Yeah. So, so the first time I did it, um, I was very lucky. Mr. Weller asked me, he said, do you want to come and do a few dates with us? Hang on. So that's the first time you supported a, a musical artist? Yeah. Yeah. And it was I Paul did. Weller? Yeah. Hammersmith Apollo. In 30 seconds, explain how that happened. How did he yeah, know who you were? And how did seconds. you go, you know, come support me on tour? We had a lot of mutual friends in Steve Craddock and um, um, we just, it's, and Johnny, Johnny Harris, you must have heard of the, the British yeah. actor. He was in a lot of fantastic films and, and um, Mark Baxter and somehow Paul ended up getting one of my cards and on a night out, I've, I had a few shandies and, and I got a text saying, this is Paul Weller, I've heard a lot about you. Um, would you mind teaching my son some magic? And I looked at my phone and thought, nah, that's a wind-up. So I put my phone back <laughs> in my pocket, <laughs> had a couple more shandies. And uh, next thing you know, I've got a call and it was him. I was like, oh, shit. And that was it, mate. We, we, we've we been, this was in, I've got it on here, 2015 we first met, in August 2015. And oh, um, I'm, I'm, I've got nothing but love and respect for him because he's helped me and my career so much. He's given me fantastic life-changing advice and he's really helped me as much as he can. And he just said, would you like to do a couple of, would you like to perform at some of my shows? And what I did was I was going around the auditoriums and the, the backstage areas and on the floors performing magic, uh, close-up magic to people. 
And I just thought, this is unbelievable. You know, my hero growing up, someone I absolutely idolised, and I've made a friendship with him, and he's given me this opportunity. So I did two nights in Hammersmith Apollo and, and one night in Brighton Centre. Uh, as and I said, were you just... actually on the stage as well, though? Not on these ones, no. These were just so round you... because I didn't know round. how it would work on the stage. Right, So okay. I was just going round and performing close-up magic with cards to people, and it was brilliant. And, and uh, as I say... From then on, it hooked me to make me think I want to do this, um, you know, on a stage. And I, as I say, I've got nothing but love and respect for Paul for giving me that opportunity because if I messed up... When when would you then... Because this, this is what really excites me. I mean, that is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Do you then go and watch the gig, like, on side of stage or something? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was standing... No, no, sorry, let me rephrase that. I, I stood by the side of the stage for about to watch the band walk in and then I, I just standed in with everyone else because that's that's where you enjoy it you know I, I was standing yeah. with people I think I was standing with uh Johnny Harris for one of the gigs I'm sure I was and uh Martin Freeman was there as well um, he's a big mod yeah I was standing next to him for a bit and performed some magic to him and it was just brilliant you know what I mean it was it was a great opportunity and like I said I think that's it really did pushed me on to want to go and perform on a stage which two years uh, a year after i did that with the libertines and that was so that they was had, had in fact you know what we should just give props and shout out to paul weller because to anyone who's listened to all episodes of the gig stories podcast so far there's a few things that keep coming up lonnie donigan is great yeah everyone's had a really really bad bob dylan gig and <laughs> Paul Weller is amazing. Catherine Williams, yeah. the wonderful singer-songwriter, we had her on... Is that episode two, Chris? Three? That was interview two, uh, so episode three. She, she, she told us a story where she had a text from Paul Weller telling her, oh, I've just listened to your latest album or this song. It's absolutely brilliant. She's like, what? This is like the nicest guy ever. So, he Paul is. Weller, he, yeah. I'm sure you're listening. <laughs> well, I also get the impression that he's quite a kind of sentiment. Well, not sentimental, but he, he's got a real um, uh, sense of uh, place and heart. I mean, the, another drummer that I interviewed and photographed was um, a drummer called Clem Catini. And he had played with loads of bands, session drummer. He played on over 40 number one hit singles. But he also he played on um, the Walker Brothers Sun ain't gonna shine anymore. He yeah. he did that wow. drum beat, this iconic drum beat. But yeah, um, Weller got in contact with him, and Clem must have been in his seventies, early seventies, um, when he got in contact and said, "Clem, I want you to play on my new album, this one track. I want this Walker wow. Brothers feel." And he's the drummer on "No More Tears to Cry." Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Because it's got a real Walker Brothers feel. But he was looking for that authenticity, and I think that's the word, authenticity. He he likes that. That, that sense of um, belonging and 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 he obviously thought that what you did was authentic as well i think that's it's, it's quite yeah. a, a, a nice thing to have in there yeah uh, he just stands the test of time paul doesn't he i mean you think he's he's no every he's been about he's never stopped really has he i mean from jam style council and then to all his solo albums he's brought out and the thing is i just he's the only person in my opinion he's changed he, he just he goes through all these different diversities in music if you could say that word you know he just keeps on changing it a bit you know he's done some sort of country listening songs some folky jam me mm. And it's just, it's amazing. You had kind of music that you, you went to, but what was the first kind of music that you went, right, I want to go and see these guys. I want to go to that gig. And um, what was it, the first, first gig that was actually yours? 
I went to see Michael Jackson on Dangerous Tour. <laughs> <laughs> that was Alex. That was Alex's first gig. <laughs> it's your first gig. That was his first gig. Yes. Yes, John. Alex. That's the universe. Yes. And then something weird happened there. Yes. Go on. The tickets that I could afford were like near the back. You were at Leeds. You played Round Hay Park. No, I didn't go to. I went Mem- Wembley. You went to Wembley, did you? Were Wembley. you in London by then, or Wembley Stadium? Right. Yeah, yeah. And um, I took my wife along, and um, we were near the back, but halfway we had to come down a few steps around the tier of Wembley, and then get drinks, and then when we went back in, I said to the usher, I said, "Listen." You've got to let us here because it's too cramped up there. My wife's pregnant. Just made it up. <laughs> he let us in and we got really good seats. Really good. Really. She was really pregnant. I found out that week. <gasps> <laughs> Amazing. I know. I know. I didn't even know. So. That is something I will always remember. Always. Yeah. Oh my God. That's brilliant. Yeah. I love it. That yeah. is brilliant. On it, already, this is too much, Johnny. You, you're just treating <laughs> us. You're treating us. We've never done this on the podcast before. We never announce um, in advance uh, or when we're recording interviews who our guest is going to be. But uh, we, we posted and said, look, we're we're speaking with Nick. What questions would you ask? And it was so funny because they're our peers and your peers. And it was so funny because it, it, it's like everyone just turned into a child again. And 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 I just want you to know just how much love there is out there for Nick Hayward. It was just so nice. Now, shall I, um, before we get to the serious questions, yeah. shall I get the a, a couple of them out of the way? And um, so I just uh, Kirsty and Roz. They they both asked, um, Nick Hayward, how did you cope with being so beautiful? <laughs> well, um, and, it's funny. And, because... Uh, <laughs> These are the questions we were getting, Nick. These are actual real questions. <laughs> well, I'm, I, I'm not going to let him answer that, Chris. No, I, I'm, no I'm ju- I'm, I, I said I would ask it's you. It's funny because... Um, and, you know, I I um I remember being. Oh, this is this is so such a strange thing because you know I've Sarah I've talked to my love of my life we've, we've talked about this stuff because you know she didn't know me then, but you know a picture would pop up of say like when I was twenty one or something and you know. A time when you, you know, when everything's happening, you know, when your hair's happening, everything's happening, and you've gone out and somebody's taken a really great picture of you. And that's not really how you look, but you look, you know, and you look at this, you kind of remember this yeah. picture, and you you look and you go, what a hunk. You know, and what, you know, you just think, wow. And then you remember back to that time when you were riddled with insecurity. You know, the whole time I was yeah, probably, yeah. I, I know I was thinking, Oh God! I wish I was just taller. I wish I had a bigger penis. Um, I wish I wish it would stay harder longer. 
I wish my hair was blonder. <laughs> I wish my skin wouldn't come out in spots. I wish I was more talented. Why have I not written a song as good as yesterday? Um, why am I not as big as Duran Duran? Why has George Michael got such a beautiful voice and mine sounds like the cat? <laughs> you know, all this stuff, you know, comparison with others and the hell that you put yourself through on a regular basis. And yet here, many years later, you just look back and you go, oh my God, what, what earth was I thinking? I should have been enjoying being, you know, him. I should have enjoyed being him, that guy there, who was just enough. But of course, I wasn't enough. I wasn't enough at all. I was riddled with insecurity and doubt, and um, and it was it was covered up by by bravado, by ego, or you know, smoking or whatever it was, or trying to be clever, of course. you know, trying to be. But it was, you know, really the truth, um, you know, and also living through the whole kind of guilt of trying to be in a relationship but not not actually being very good at it and then and, you know that kind of stuff and there's plenty of people around to make you feel really bad about yourself really guilty you know i could not do relationships it was a really hard thing to do you know because at some point you know that scene in about a boy with hugh grant you know where at some point yes. you're gonna get it you know you haven't been a man have you you know and you're emasculated completely you know, and it's all you've done is thought, I'm not into you that much, but I can't say, you know, I'll just be with you for 20 years. <laughs> Instead, you know, that kind of stuff, anything, but just face up to just, you know, I, that, that stuff and men feel it, women feel it, people feel it, but they just haven't got the tools of communication and you're probably never going to get it. Some people never get the tools of communication and then just die, you know, not there. And, and I mean, look at people, they're riddled with it. Look at, look at George, Michael. I mean, millions and millions of pounds and, and the success and a voice from heaven didn't mean yeah. that he could get past 50 and go into living right. elder years and just relax and enjoy mm. all that wonderful life and all the all of us who just think george you're amazing you're just an amazing guy look at you you know i don't give a flying fuck what you look like you're brilliant <laughs> in every way look at you know and for him exactly. just to sort of like go wake up and go look in the mirror and go i love you george you know i'm just gonna you know i've done my bit i've done enough i've you know careless whisper is just a a moment, you know, you couldn't make that moment again, ever, because it was that moment. It was that moment to come up with that song in that time, for it to record it the way it was, for it to sound like it was, for everything to be around like it was, you know, everything. And, and just for him to sort of like go, I totally accept that I'm older now, you know, but it just looked like he was struggling in, inwardly. He felt everything so deeply. Uh, and just couldn't just actually just do the basics which is just live you know you you've answered that question in the most wonderful way yeah <laughs> you thank were... you very much because that was a that was a really flippant question 
It was a really flippant question, but it's, it was a lovely answer. Thank you. I'm just going to have one more flippant question, um, but but it's it's from my wife. But, yeah, I'm not sure I should be asking this really, um, but she says, um, "Will so this is this is my wife talking, and she's saying, will you marry me in 1982?'" Um, so. Uh, again, I, 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 I'm I'm going to translate that. I think it's a rhetorical question. I mean, well, um, I tell you one thing: she's so lucky that she didn't marry me. You wouldn't believe how crap I would have been. I, mean, <laughs> I thought you were going to say she was so so lucky that she married me. Yeah. Oh, Nick. But this is it. You know, this is the the loveliness of it. I don't know. It's a fascinating, fascinating subject. Um, why I didn't want to be in a relationship with Andy Partridge or the people that I idolised, and I, I've, you know, you have to get into the mind of a woman. I think a girl on that that time because they have that thing of wanting to be with somebody, you know, in a in a kind of unrealistic way. But it is actually very real, and I've I've talked to women now, you know. 55 still you know that is the thing and i find that absolutely fascinating i mean it's it's a, it's it's a book probably on on it because <laughs> if you went into it deeply it, it's a fascinating subject uh, it's a subject that i can't see because you know i do remember idolizing musicians and stuff and people that did things and, and things but uh, i never looked at uh, an actress say or somebody that was attractive and just thought, I actually want to, to be with them. I remember once a, a guy saying, a therapist, uh, somebody was in therapy and they said um, that their, their partner was kind of, they thought their partner was looking at everybody and just didn't, you know, didn't want to be with them. They just wanted to be with everybody else. And the, the therapist said, well, do they actually want to be with them? Um, because if they do, then that's a problem. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're going against the whole of the universe there you know and that's that that comes back to that that brilliant life from, uh, from uh, graham coxon of blur when he, he, he went to therapy and he he said uh, the therapist said to him uh, if you think you're so in control go down to the coast and try and stop the tide coming in you know and uh that's it. Well, you know, some going against the whole of the universe. It's not good. It's better to go with it. You know. Oh man, <laughs> I I love you, Nick Hayward. <laughs> I I want to marry you. <laughs> I enjoyed this this uh, podcast very much, guys. You are great. You know. Uh, so I, I my first ever gig was so right. Yeah. Okay. When I was like uh, fifteen, um, again, my mum used to take me there was a uh, one big nightclub in Shrewsbury called Park Lane and they did an under 14 night and I uh, yes. my first DJing was was DJing at this under 14 so I was only 16 myself um, no way the, the DJ at Park Lane let me have a go um, and so um, <laughs> I started doing that um, for a while and then uh, and then I after that I went to my first ever gig um, which was Sister Sledge and that wow. was while I was like in the lower six maybe so but the, where would you go to a gig if you tell me growing up in north shropshire the nearest <laughs> town 
was five <laughs> miles away. You know, the nearest. I live in. A, I lived in a village where I was related to more than half of the population. <laughs> Hang on, I, I'm the Welsh run here. Yeah, no, you know, you'll be able to relate, Alex. My school. There were 33 children in in my primary school, and and genuinely, two thirds were my cousins. <laughs> Seriously, I love it. Well, I suppose Chris, I was in the same kind of boat because I'm, I'm from a, I'm from a small, um, small town in in the Scottish Borders. So I'm I'm 45 miles away from the nearest city. Edinburgh is the the closest place. So I didn't I don't have anything. Um, so yeah, what do you do? It, it feels you know it, it it feels like you know it was late to, to to go to a gig, but yeah, it was sister stage. It was this kind of weird party. You know where the Big Chill used to be? Do you, do you remember the Big Chill Festival? Oh, yeah, the festival, yeah. Yeah, it was there where, in the grounds of, of where the big chill was, and it was just a stage. So all, all 200 of you from your town went to see it then, did you? <laughs> all, you and your family, you all went. I'm not even joking. I'm really not, you know? Um, <laughs> and it's not that weird being married to your sister, you know? It gets, <laughs> you know when, when everyone's the same. So the village um, got into two coaches and uh, <laughs> headed to the gig. Things got a bit more normal once I was at university and, and um, you know, there were great, great moments. God, Bowie, <laughs> whilst I was at, at Nottingham, um, Bowie came and played at Rock City. That was some special moment. Um, you got a ticket to see Bowie in Rock City. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And, and that will always be, you know, I'm guessing this question was coming. I may have preempted it, sorry. But yes, it was probably the best gig of my life. Yeah. Well, what? How did, you, how did you get, did you have to sell your nan for that ticket? <laughs> how did you get that ticket? Uh, my uh, flatmate and I at the time queued up, got got tickets. Um, you know, I, I, I was as a kid. I, I was that kid at the Gay Meadow, the home of Shrewsbury Town, the mighty, sorry, mighty Shrewsbury. Mighty, Town. yes, yes. Um, I was that <laughs> kid that used to stand at the players' entrance, getting all the players' autographs, waiting at yeah. the team bus for the away team to arrive, and getting photos and, and, and autographs. I was always the kid at the theatre stage door. I've got your autograph, Alex, before we knew one another from a, a TV show. That's poor, that is. You go from doing that as an excitable youngster and then you go through a period where it's a bit embarrassing, but you sort of still want to get those autographs. And then actually yep. now I'm very proud to ask everyone I interview to sign stuff for me. So that my only regret is not hanging out after that gig for, for Bowie to, to try and sort of, even if it hadn't been a photo or even a, an autograph, just to have caught sight of him in person um, other than on stage would have been a really special. Moment. Oh my gosh. I mean, would that have even been possible? Do you know, I did something similar at the Academy of Manchester after a Nick Cave gig and I waited, waited and I wanted him to sign my ticket. I thanked him and said, oh, I, I don't know why I apologise, but I've got to rush off because I've got to go back to Cardiff because I'm from Wales. And he just said, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and I was, I was just like, oh, that's brilliant. Thanks, Nick Cave. <laughs> Wales loves you too. I'm a massive fan of an Icelandic band called Dead Skeletons. Now, I go to a lot of psychedelic music festivals. I've gone to a lot of psychedelic music festivals all over the world. And if you go and see um, Dead Skeletons, um, Nonny, who's the lead singer, he starts every show by doing a painting. 
So he's on stage and there's all this kind of weird psyche ambience going on, smoke machine, everything's dead moody. And Nonny is painting a painting. He paints the same painting at the beginning of every show. <laughs> and you can buy it after the show. Honestly, it's amazing. That's, he's an artist and he has a studio in Reykjavik. And actually, you won't if you're listening, you won't see this. But if you see that waterfall, that's one of Nonny's waterfalls. Oh, really? Oh, fantastic. In Reykjavik that he painted because yeah is the dead studio in Reykjavik uh, which is his um, his little painting hole but basically what I love about them they're like a, a trio and they got their name actually from Anton um, Newcomb from the Ryan Jonestown massacre oh right, yeah get their name so they're very kind of like in the same um, the same ilk as that but they always have this mantra called the dead mantra. Um, trying to remember the exact wording of it it's, uh, because Nonny has, um, what's he called? He has HIV and he's been living a very clean life for years to try and keep his health in good check. But it, they have like a, a saying along the lines of, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but it's something like, um, oh no, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to Google it. Otherwise I will get it wrong. Uh, the it's called the dead mantra, but it's like something along the lines of, you know, if you can't see life, you know, those who aren't threatened by death can't enjoy life or something along yes. those lines, yeah. but it's very, very good. And anyway, the dead mantra is always this, this painting of this, this figure. And it's just such a magical experience watching him do this painting and then going to the merch stand again, you know, making yourself some cr great creative options to make money off your tour by, oh, by basically selling merch that you've created at gig. Imagine being there, watching him do the painting and then buying the painting and then buying and having it. that on your wall, knowing that you were there when he was. Surely that's just, that just turns into a punch up at a wedding. Surely. Like who's, <laughs> Oh, it's not cheap. Fan? I don't think it's cheap to buy. No, which fan gets to buy that? Surely they're all fighting over it. I'd love to see that merch stall at the end. Honestly, he's a very incredibly friendly person as well as a very talented person. But well, that's another one yeah, going well, on the playlist. Yeah, yeah, it's, there is the dead dead mantra um, is is a, is a song of theirs. But um, well, I will the find the mantra. Dead skeletons out. Um, I, was, I thought it was on the art. It's normally on the artwork, which is a skull. Um, but I'm just trying to trying to find it. I've got it. He who fears death cannot enjoy life. Nice. Oh, just the other one. He who fears death cannot enjoy life. I like that. Yeah, and it's like yeah. around a skull. You see the bottom black. You yeah. Won't, if you're listening, you won't go to see yeah, it. Go it. We'll put it on the website. We'll put it on the website. Yeah, let's put that on the website. And um, next question is: What's your favourite venue and why? Oh, I would say it's the Brudenell in Leeds. Yes. <laughs> I cool. love, do you know what? It's just the nicest space. It's out of town. You always get a parking spot. Nath is yeah. so, Nath's attention to detail is incredible. And he just really does care from everything to sound to food. You know, you get there early like I do as a, as a music journalist to interview people before, you know, they've just finished sound check. And Nath's there saying, you know, do you want some of my mum's lasagna she's cooked for the band? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I will. As somebody who has a, a very loose knowledge of the different styles in hip hop and rap, how, how would you define grime um, um, compared to, you know, garage or um, I don't know what the I don't know how I would describe it. Um, why would I be able to? Because I, I don't listen to a massive amount. 
but how how would you graft? I I, I feel I feel like I break it down like this. Um, grime culture stems from a lot of clashing. So an MC versus another MC in in in, in lyrical warfare, trying to beat their opponent. Um, energy, character, charisma, flair, um, flaws, metaphors, who tonality, um, just that really grimy essence, underground street essence of music where people are emceeing about their life, their, their surroundings, um, their views, and grime, grime is very fast paced, it's 140 BPM, it's very fast paced, it has that grimy essence where it's it's just in your face and you feel the bass, the, the flows, and it's all about kind of like, who's the best? Who's the best MC in the room? It's grime's a very competitive genre, in your face and, and an energetic um, street essence, yeah. But yet, you can still reckon, and I, I can, if you took all vocals off a of- off a grime track if you just heard the uh the, the bass lines or the beats or the rhythms you can still hear and go yeah that's grime that one's not and and it's really hard and i'm not especially because i'm not a musician myself i'm not i'm not exactly sure how i know that but just listen to it or what it is is the difference but you can definitely it's just a it's an energy it's an energy and it's a sound on that 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 sort of bass snare it's a, and and I, I like that you said it's a culture because that has always been the case i think with hip-hop and i just put a blanket hip-hop so all hip-hop rap and all the genres within there it's always been about a culture so with Public Enemy, it was a culture. With Run DMC back in, you know, before them, it was a culture. With the early boys in the late 70s, you know, Grandmaster Flash, it was a culture. It was, it was, it was always about kids on the street. When did you start performing or go into battles as a rapper? I started performing at 16. And um, where? I was performing at... Um, I was I performing? Performing. I was perform performing at local centres in my in my community. Um, I was actually performing in in clubs. Um, I was performing in clubs local um, to yeah. my community. Um, I was performing at university um, halls, um, and I was performing outside with friends. I was performing at Leeds Carnival. Like just a number of different places, but I, I remember my first ever performance and that was at Leeds University campus. Um, they have a room where live performances go on. And I was, I was 16, 17 and I got booked for this performance and I'd only released freestyles on the internet. Wicked. So when I'm doing this live performance and the crowd's there, I'm literally just spraying my freestyle lyrics and the crowd, <laughs> the crowd know the lyrics because I've done the videos on YouTube and they're just going crazy and I'm saying one thing, dropping it out and then they're saying the next. And from that moment, from that moment on, that's when I knew I was, I was a great performer, 
but also performing is 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 unmatched. It's unmatched, literally. See, that's that's incredible because artists and bands can take years to get that, and yet in rap culture, you, you got that at the age of sixteen because you put some YouTube videos out. You went to perform, and already at that age. And because of the modern age of YouTube and things, you, you had you had people you've never seen who were probably three, four, five years older than you yeah. repeating your lyrics back. That is wicked, isn't it? That that's just no songs out, just freestyle videos. <laughs> wow. And so what yeah. was that what was that feeling like then when you when you first clocked that oh my god, they're actually they know what I'm gonna say next. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That must have been really odd. It was it was surreal because I felt like I was I was doing something that was so different to the idea of where I'd I'd see myself in my life. Because at that age I, I always wanted to be a footballer. So being yeah, be, being on stage and performing and people are just Giving us, giving off this amazing energy, and they, they're repeating my lyrics. They know my lyrics word for word, and I've just, I've just wrote these at home, <laughs> and they're repeating my lyrics. It was like, wow, is this, is this the life that I could have? But at that point, I was just enjoying everything, um, football and music. But it was, it was amazing. It was a great taste for, for everything that I've, I've experienced already. It was a good starting point, amazing starting point. And and you're only you're only 21 now, aren't you? 22. When did things start taking off for you as a performer? When did your gigs start p- picking up with bands and with your songwriting? When did that sort of happen? I think what where that's where the, the either interesting if you're interested or the boring bit if you're not is that. As a performer, I did a lot of performing before I started making records. But the minute I started having records, particularly when I started having hit records, um, yeah. and it wasn't until, I mean, I started making records when I was 17, 18, 17 or 18. Uh, I had my first single out when I was 18. And I didn't do gigs to promote them. I used to be too busy making the next record or then I started working for the record company, Liberty Records. As their A&R guy. And so I was going around looking at lots of gigs, looking at a lot of people. Um, uh, we saw the early King Crimson. Did we want wow. to sign that? No, we passed on them. <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> One they got away. Yeah. We, we did sign the Idol Race, um, Jeff Lynn's first band, and we had yeah. the Bonzo's, Bonzo Dog. Oh, and yeah. from America, we had Credence Clear. Clearwater, and we had, um, uh, I'll tell you who, who we had I loved, uh, and I loved when they came over from America, and I used to have to deal with them, uh, was um, Canned Heat. All right. Wow. I was so into blues, and that was really my st- my style, my, my natural style, and still is. Um, you know, if, if I walk into a pub and p- pick up the piano lid, I'll, I'll play bl- some f- dirty blues you know that's what i do oh, you've 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 preempted me there mike because i was actually going to ask you because i see you've got the, the piano there because one of the things i find fascinating about your career and your cv is you know i, I wasn't lying or, or or you know blowing smoke in that introduction you've literally spanned 
every genre of music. It's incredible. I'm not sure there's many other musicians or writers like yourself who, you know, classical rock. And so I was genuinely interested in asking you, what is inside Mike Batal? What are you naturally? And I was going to say, can you can you answer that question by turn into your piano but you sort of oh. preempted by by telling me you are r&b so I, I i'd love it if you if you did turn to your piano and and i you know well, what is the first thing that you yeah would um i i'll it's a it's only an electric piano so it's not quite the same as a but having said that it's my workhorse i put all my music i'm fine with an electric piano mike uh, but I, let me see what I, i've got all these wires out of the way um uh, and let's just say, oops, wasn't it down? So I mean, the sort of thing I would, uh, if, if I'm sat, if, if I sat down and I said, oh, just play something, I I can't think of what shoot I might play. I try play something like this. records in a day was just unheard of and it went straight to number one and it stayed there for six weeks. How did it come about that, um, that Art Garfunkel was singing it? Did you have any choice over the matter or or was that something the record label stipulated? No, I wrote it for the film Watership Down mm. and the producers came around and heard me playing the song on the piano and they said, oh, we like the song. Who have you got in mind to sing it? And I said, well, I'd really love it if Art Garfunkel sang it. I wrote it for his kind of voice. Right. But I've got a list of other people who would do it quite well. And I'm number 10 on the list. And uh, number two on the list was actually Colin Blunstone. Oh, really? Do you remember who else was on the list? Uh, who else would be on it? I can't, I honestly, I mean, that's thrown me a bit because I can't remember back that far, but I do remember that, who was number two and I remember who was number 10. That's fine. That's <laughs> brilliant. That is such a wonderful insight because I, I genuinely find that fascinating. And the fact that you you wanted Art Garfunkel and, and he did you, how was that process? Do you have to sort of, you know, twist their arm or was it a... Well, I said, I'm sure you won't get in. So should we just move on down the list? And they said, no, let's try it. And uh, we, luckily, I was on CBS. Their, their record deal was with CBS, the film people. Mm. And so CBS got us in touch with Goddard Lieberson, who was the grandfather of CBS Records, who set it up in the first place, who had now retired, but who was still powerful as a, as a memory. He signed Art Garfunkel. He put out the first long-playing record ever. Wow. wow. You know, uh, a very interesting, very witty guy. Um, he must have been in his least late 70s by the time this was, was happening. And he signed Simon and Garfunkel. So he knew them. Amazing. And yeah. um, so we sent him the song. He loved it. Sent it straight to Art Garfunkel. I said, you better do this because it's going to be, you know, this will be good. And um, not you better do it, but I, I recommend you do it. You know, it's <laughs> a certain way you speak to an artist and it's not that. 
Yeah, you don't just, well, actually, funny enough, record companies do talk to, to artists in a very authoritarian way quite often. But mm. I'm sure Goddard was one of those people who, uh, who would have been very um, diplomatic in the way he presented the idea. And uh, it wasn't, it was only a, a week later that Art Garfunkel was sitting in my front room, routining the song with me, ready to go into the studio the next day. He, he came over to you and, and was yeah. in your front room? Yeah. And we recorded it in Wessex Studios in North London. So can I assume then, Tommy, then it sounds like that even through uh, Berkeley, going to live gigs, to jazz gigs, was, was still very important. So going to listen to live music was oh, still it was important. The, it was the, the best thing. I would go down to New York um, during, um, they called it midterm. And in midterm, I didn't know this, but you get kicked out of school for a week or two weeks. And, and I didn't have anywhere to stay because nobody told me that. And I, you know, I was staying in the dorms, but the dorms get closed. And I'm like, well, where am I going to go? Oh, they actually close the dorms, do they? Yeah, so they close the dorms. So I, um, I talked to some of my friends. I'd say, well, well, what do you think I should do? And so, you know, you get lots of offers. You can come and stay with me or you can go there. So I had one friend, this big black guy, alto player, guy called Aaron Spencer. We used to hang hang out and play jam sessions. He said, why don't you come to New York? My dad lives above a jazz club. And I went, fantastic. Wow. So we got on the bus, this Greyhound bus paid, you know, a few dollars and took an overnight or so it was really cheap and, and ended up in New York in the morning and went to his dad's uh, studio flat and he, his dad lived way down, I think on 4th or 5th Street or Canal Street or somewhere like that. And we got we got there and I never been to New York. So I was 16. I was still 16. And I was looking at <laughs> these buildings. That is incredible. Going, you know, get a creak in my neck because it was just I was like, wow. And it was quite quiet at that time in the morning. It was like hardly anybody around. It's quite eerie. It's like a zombie nation or something. <laughs> and uh so he aaron he presses the buzzer and uh the door opens and we go up to the first uh flight and i see there's a jazz club underneath so there's the, the black blacked out windows and there's a jazz i said jazz yes his dad lives above a jazz club so we went in there um up the stairs and then there was a big metal door with um like chains on the outside and and some holes and and the holes are actually bullet holes and mm. and the guy what? his dad used one of the bullet holes to you know peer through and then he opened the door and his dad was even bigger than, than aaron the guy called spencer he had completely bald no hair big black guy quite scary looking and i went in and the, it was just one big room and i remember on the right side there was like two big windows, uh, a wooden floor, like racks of clothes on, on, on racks, like you see in a, a store and, and instruments lying all over the place, piano, saxophone, cases here. And then on the left, there was like this big long table and the table uh, had bags of stuff. And there was a, 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 a young woman there uh, like measuring this white powder on with a razor blade into envelopes. Big okay. bag of green stuff. There was like pills and all sorts of stuff. And the phone was going um, all the time. And it was like, hey, Spence, man, I need a fix. Can you, can I come? And I was like, 
suddenly it dawned on me that this guy was a drug dealer, like pretty, you know, intense one. And so uh, my friend's father basically just said, help yourself, you know, take what you like. And because of the way I grew up, um, you know, I didn't do anything. I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, never tried a cigarette, never had a girlfriend, it's all music. And so I went, uh, no thanks, but can I have a shirt, please? <laughs> <laughs> so I, got, I took a shirt and um, so I, had to li I had to live in this place for a week, sleeping on the floor with my coat. Now, of course, I was used to sleeping with my coat, but not on a hard wooden floor. Um, but anyway, uh, these musicians started to appear. One of, one of them was Jacob Astorius, and he would basically come up every day, play the piano, uh, carried his uh, word of mouth big band music in a carrier bag. Wow. I got, talk, got talking with him, became quite friends, talked about Glasgow, and you know, you always shook your hand like a, a Cherokee Indian, and um, it was it was a very nice guy. I thought, of course, he was he was getting uh, drugs from my friend's dad, but um, he he invited me to play, probably just because I was friends with his his, his dealer. Um, but I got to play the Blue Note with Jack Vistorius playing you know, Donna Lee and Dolphin Dance and Mercy Mercy Mercy, and we got to play Seventh Avenue South. Uh, you know, and it was like typical movie thing so there'd be a big line out the door and i'd go with my friend and his dad and we'd go up to the very front of the queue and we'd get the front table yeah like, like in the movies like a scene from goodfellas yep and then we get to play with the band <laughs> when you were touring i i i love this question well i certainly love the answers mm. that we sometimes get is so um often when you when you're touring you um you get paired up with odd support bands ones which you wouldn't normally go well they, they're <laughs> nothing like us what are you doing um i'm just wondering if you had that or, or you know tour in europe or, or whatever were you paired with with bands where you thought what what <laughs> <laughs> not that i remember i mean i've had some crazy support acts we had um we had the wurzels once <laughs> Um, what that's what i'm that's what i'm talking about <laughs> yeah i mean the words although we we did invite them ourselves and it's quite funny there was this one time we had this crazy support <laughs> we invited them yeah and we said and we said how do you want to get paid and they wanted honestly they said oh just um bung us 500 quid and just give us loads of cider and it was like okay <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of knew you were going to say that. I yeah. don't know why. <laughs> Pay us insider. What's your strangest gig? But I don't know if you've answered that already. I'm not sure. <sighs> We've done some... I mean, when we were in America, we had to do a lot of these radio shows because what you do in America is you go, you turn up at a, a, a town or a, you know, a city and then you have to do a sign in, in the... The, in the record store and then you have to go and do something for the radio and then it's the gig in the evening so a few of these we did a few performances for these radio shows and we were down in um louisiana and it oh got, bloody hell it got really sketchy where for some reason they they wanted us to mime 
So, and we were just like, oh God, we don't bloody mind. And we had no instruments. Done top of the pops. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. But we'd given, and they'd hired some instruments. So we thought these instruments were hired for us. So we got on stage and we weren't big fans of miming. As soon as we started jumping around, the CD started jumping. So we kind of just were pissing about. We ended up giving all the instruments away to the, to the audience. And then didn't really know. But then when we got backstage, the instruments had belonged to the promoter and the promoter's brother was the local sheriff. <laughs> so, and then, oh. and then a fight broke out because of this. What was going on? Someone got hit, and then all of a sudden, we were in the car park, hands on head, sheriffs with their guns pulled, like this, and um, and we had to do, we had to do that thing, you know, when you had to kind of pay off the police. So counting it out in the back of the police car. Shut we, up. And then we got in the vehicle, and then we drove out of state. Honestly, that was kind of that was a bit of yes. a scary one. Wow. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a chapter all on its own in your autobiography. Well, yeah. And I remember there was a rap band on Digital Underground. Do you remember Digital Underground? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Quite hardcore rap keysers, and they, yeah, were they, were. Us, they were looking at us and go, "You guys are fucking crazy." <laughs> <laughs> You know, like some simple West Country bumpkins. <laughs> Hello, my lovers. Uh, yeah. Who do you want on this keyboard then? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there we are. What an amazing uh, array of guests. Just fantastic. And thank you to all of them. Uh, and we hope you enjoyed that compilation um, uh, as well. And, and maybe we played or, or there weren't your favorite bits in there. Let us know what your favorite questions and answers have been. Um, and you can contact us as always on our social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Gig Stories Pod. And um, as Chris said, actually, before that, uh, there'll be another compilation episode sometime. But also, we, as we speak now, we've got some fantastic guests lined up. So yeah. thank you for your support. Thank you for your support. And uh, keep listening, hey? Yeah. Um, and I think our introduction um, was almost longer than the, uh, the compilation itself. So I think all that's left for us to say is see you next time. Hoi Goodbye. <laughs>